Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Uh, this morning we're gonna we're gonna have a good time. Uh, I've got a lot to share with you today, but a couple things before I get into the message. I actually want to tell you about this story that happened to me this week, um, and this is hilarious, and or I think it's hilarious. Anyways, this is a true story. I was at work. Uh, the company that I work for, we work with local government, and uh, I got a call this this week from a gentleman in the city of Randleman, the the city manager the new city manager of the city of Randleman. And if you don't know where Randleman is, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of our state, uh, south of Greensboro and, and that area. And uh, we, did, we did a project with them back in 2019, and the, the new city manager reached out to our office this week, and I spoke with him on the phone. He was a good old, good old boy. And uh, he was letting me know that he needed some files and was wondering if I would send them to him. I said, sure, no problem. So I, I said, let me take down your information. I said, what's your name and what's your email address, best email address you have? And he told me his name. He said his name was Weem. I'd never heard that name before. Weem, W-E-E-M. I was like, what? So I wrote it down. I didn't ask him how he spelled it, uh, but, I, but I wrote it down. I asked him to repeat his name just so that I could make sure that I heard it right, Weem. And so I wrote down W-E-E-M, and then later that day, went to go send him the email with the files that he requested. I thought to myself, how am I going to title this email? Because I don't know how to actually spell that name. I've never heard that name before. Is it, is it Weem like Beam? W-E-A-M? Is it W-E-E-M? Is it what is it? So my coworker, Zach, said, dude, why don't you just Google him and find out how he spells it? I said, that's a great idea. So I Googled City of Randleman, and, and, and I saw the article where they announced they had just got a new city manager, and I pulled up the article, and there's his name, and there's his face, and I'm looking at him. Dude's name is William, and, and he, he said it so fast that I heard Weem. <laughs> and it's a thick southern accent. Sir, what is your name? William Johnson. William Johnson. They just said it real fast and real t- William Johnson. Nice to meet you, William. William. Whatever. That's a true story. That actually happened to me this week. Just in case you felt like you had a bad week, you are not alone. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you can't fix stupid. I'll tell you what. You just... Listen, I want to encourage you, before I get into the word today, I want to encourage you, everybody knows what Tuesday is. It's our midterm elections in our country. I want to encourage you to get this week and vote. Amen. We live in a, we live in a place where we actually still get to have a voice. And I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. Um, and so I want to encourage each and every person who is able and capable to get out and vote. Go cast your vote. Amen. There's, uh, I would about it this week, and, and I don't normally talk a ton about politics. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm far more interested in helping guide people's morality and then encouraging them to vote according to their morality and vote according to the Spirit of God and what He says on the inside. Amen. But I, I won't shy away from it either. Okay. 
there's three institutions that God has, has created. There's more than three, but three big ones in, in the scripture that he teaches on. Government, the family, and the church. All three of those institutions were God's idea. Amen? And they're all connected. They all touch one another. And they all overlap. We have a right as children of God to be, to be leaders in each of those three institutions. So I want to encourage you to get out and do your part this week. Amen. Go out and vote. Amen. I'm just glad that we live in a place that still honors our voice. Because I'm here to tell you, I've been to some countries around the world where that is not a reality. That's not a reality. And I want us to uh, be the kind of people to take advantage of that. Amen. All right. So we're going to continue this morning in our series titled Carefree. I have a lot to say this morning. Um, there's just so much to cover. And I'm, I'm really trying to pack a lot into five weeks. And so I want to encourage you to connect with, uh, with what I'm sharing this morning. Uh, and, and let's dig in together. You can turn in your Bible 15. Uh, this is one of our two main scriptures. John chapter 15. Our other main verse is Philippians chapter 4. John 15, 11. Philippians 4, 7. Because of what I want to share today, I don't have time to do a review. So if you were not here for last week, if you missed last week somehow, uh, why don't you go check out the podcast uh, and you can get caught up. John chapter 15, 11 and Philippians 4, 7. John 15 reads, These things I have spoken, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may, may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the joy of Jesus remaining in you and the peace of God guarding your heart and mind. The one thing I'll say that's a repeat from last week is that these two verses highlight and chronicle for us God's will for our lives. God's will for your life is that you be filled with his joy and filled with his peace. Amen. Peace and joy are the will of God for every single human being on planet earth. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I want to make our confession of faith that we like to make, and then I'm going to pray and jump into today's discussion. But you'll see this on your screen. Let's go ahead and declare this out loud together. Say, thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Amen. We're growing in the things of God. Amen. Let's pray today. Lord, we come to you today expected to receive from your word. God, I want to thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to share your word with your people. Lord, I don't take that lightly in any way. Father, I just pray that you would, by your power and by your spirit, instruct your people today in the way that you would have them to go. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would be able to successfully put our opinions to the side 
that we would with open hearts and with open minds receive the word that you have for us today. We, we receive it as personal. We take it as real today. And we come to you thankful that you would speak to us. We give you the praise and thanksgiving for these things in Jesus' name. If you believe it, say amen, amen, and amen. I'm going to take about 40 minutes today, which is just a couple minutes longer than I normally take. Uh, but I've got, as I said, I've got a lot of things to share with you today. Um, the title of today's message, the series is called Carefree. This is part two. And the title of the message today is Know Your Enemy. Know Your Enemy. Uh, I think that if you, if, if you want to win a fight, if you want to win a battle, you need to know what your enemy's doing. And as you do that, you need to know to the best of your ability, what your enemy's strategy is. You need to know what your enemy's weaknesses are, and you need to know what your strengths are. And if you will do those things, if you'll have access to those things, you'll be able to be victorious in every battle that you fight. I mean, how, how if you were to go, like, if we were to get, okay, listen, I'll just make it real plain for you. If Jeff and I were to box each other, okay, <laughs> I'm just pick on you for a second. If Jeff and I were to box, you'd be able to visit me in the hospital that following week. And it would and I would be very great like grateful. But no, if we were to fight and somebody came to me before the fight and said, "Listen, here's Jeff's three weaknesses. Exploit those." And, and, and if they were to say, here's the main ways that he's going to attack you, so be on the lookout for those things when he tries to do them. How many of you know I would stand a much better chance against this man mountain? <laughs> I love you, man. Listen, your enemy, the Bible says that our adversary roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour the enemy is a strategist. The reason the enemy is a strategist is because ultimately he's very weak. That sounded like it was a surprise to you. The enemies, thank you. The enemy is very weak. The Bible actually says that he's defeated completely, annihilated. The book of Isaiah talks about, and the book of Ezekiel both talk about the enemy and who he actually really and truly is. And the book of Isaiah tells us that when we get, when this life is over and when the earth comes to, a, a, you know, a, its final days and, and we're on the other side in eternity, we're going to actually look at the devil and go, is this the puny little thing that deceived the nations? The reason the devil is a strategist is because that's all he actually has to work with. Because he's weak. He's powerless. Jesus defeated him on the cross. So he's a strategist, and if you're going to beat a strategist, you've got to know their strategy. How many of you know that the Bible tells you exactly what the strategy of the enemy is? So today, my job and my goal is to help you by eliminating these strategies in your life. I talked about these three last week. I called them ADD, anxiety, depression, and despair. Anxiety, depression, and despair. Every one of us is going to deal with these things in our lives at some point. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that he is not unaware of the enemy's devices and schemes. And his desire is that we also would be aware of the, of the enemy's devices and schemes. So, who is your enemy and what are his schemes? Satan, of course, who's a big fat liar. Amen. The big fat liar. And he's defeated. His schemes that we're highlighting in this series that I just mentioned, anxiety, depression, and despair, these are three of the things that he leads with in our lives because they're easy targets for us. They're areas that if we don't know what the word says, we'll just believe the lie when it comes. Right? Does that make sense? I mean, if the enemy can convince you that anxiety is a normal part of your life and you should just learn to deal with it, then you will. And that will be an easy point of entry and access into your life. So today we're going to pull the cover back and just expose the enemy for the lion booger that he really is. He's a weenie. You see, if you know the tactics of your enemy, if, if your enemy is a strategist and you know his strategies, you'll see him coming a mile off. Amen. So I want to expose the enemy's tactics this morning, and I want to get into each one of these three things, anxiety, depression, and despair. Before I do that, let me say this. It all starts with a seed. The majority of the problems, if you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down. The majority of the problems that we face in our lives have a spiritual root, meaning that they go beyond just the things we see in the natural they go beyond our five senses. The majority of the problems that we face in our lives have a spiritual root or root, depending on where you're from in the country. And every root begins as a seed. And listen, the kingdom of God works exactly the same way. Everything that God wants to do in your life, he gives it to you in seed form. This word, this Bible, this is a bag of seeds. It really is. You can go read about it in the book of Mark. Jesus said the sower sows the word. It's like, a, it's like a farmer sowing and planting seed on the ground. This Bible that you hold, it's the seed of God's word, and he's given it to you to cultivate in your life. Well, guess what? The devil is coming with some seeds too. If you can identify the seed, you can deal with the problem before it becomes a problem, right? How hard is it to pluck a seed out of the ground right after you plant it? Anybody ever planted a seed before? You just drop it in the ground, cover it up with a little dirt, and then it goes to work. Well, how hard is it when it's still a seed to get that thing out and deal with it in your life? This is just as easy as it was to put it in. Just move the dirt out of the way, pluck it up, and it's gone. And it has no chance to grow. Can I tell you that anxiety, depression, and despair all start as seeds in our lives? And if you can identify the seed, you can deal with the seed before it becomes an oak tree. It takes a lot of work to cut down a hundred-year-old oak tree. But anybody can deal with an oak tree when it's still an acorn. Amen. Now, don't be, don't be discouraged by this. Don't see yourself at a disadvantage. Maybe the first thought that goes off in your head is, oh man, 15 years ago I had tons of seeds. I could have dealt with them then. 
Well, we believe in a God of miracles. You can still deal with them today. Amen. Oak trees can come down by the power of the Holy Ghost in this place. Amen. You believe that? So this is encouraging. Now, with each of these tactics of the enemy, we're going to define three things, okay? Yeah, I told you what the tactics were. The tactics were anxiety, depression, despair. We're going to identify three different components with each one of those. The problem, the seed, and the solution. So this is the format for today, okay? I want you to stay with me, take notes. This is going to be fun, okay? So just for example, we're going to, we're going to define the problem, like depression. We're going to talk about the seed of depression, and then we're going to talk about God's solution to depression. We're going to do that with each one of these, okay? Side note, the seeds that we're going to talk about always seem justified at the moment that they're planted, I want to say that up front because as we talk about these three different tactics of the enemy and we talked about the seeds that are associated with these tactics, I want you to keep in mind that at the moment that the seed is planted, it always seems totally reasonable. Totally reasonable. I'll just give you a little heads up, okay? A little clue. We're going to talk about anxiety first. The seed of that is worry. And every time worry comes to you in seed form, it's completely, totally justifiable. You've got a million reasons why you should be worried. Amen. All right, so let's talk about it. Tactic number one, anxiety. Let's define the problem. Anxiety is restlessness. Restlessness. Merriam-Webster defines anxiety as apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. It's a state of being anxious, and it's, and it's a state of being anxious over something that you anticipate. Somebody say, not real. Right? Not real. How many of you have lived long enough to figure this out, that 98% of the things you worry about never actually even come close to happening? Amen? We read Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Back up one verse. Back up one verse. Verse 6, how does it start in your Bible? Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, everybody say everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known Unto God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Right? Be anxious for nothing. I looked up the Greek word nothing. And I actually was surprised at how funny the definition of the Greek word for nothing is. This is literal. I typed it right out of the concordance. The Greek word for nothing here means not even one thing. Not even one thing. Can I ask you a question this morning? And I really want you to think about this. What did the Lord give you permission to be anxious about? Not even one thing. What does the Lord... See, we've, we've got to deal with this and, and just hit it right on the nose because most of us have lived a life that where we have been convinced that worry is just okay. It's just a normal and, and natural part of life. 
We've just, we've just come, to, come to understand and come to, to think of anxiety as being totally normal. But the Bible tells us here that we're not even allowed to be anxious over not one thing. What does the Lord give you permission to be anxious about? Nothing. This side of the room is doing a little better than this side of the room. I'm just going to let you know that. I'm going to preach to these guys for a little while. Okay. What does it go? Step it up. My mom said it. She's the boss. Okay. Not even one thing. Lord, what? Lord, could I be? Can I be anxious about my marriage? Nope. How about my career? How about my future? How about my finances? Parents, how about my children? How about single people? How about my spouse? My, my soon-to-be spouse? What, what about the future? What about my decisions? What about the economy? What about the state of affairs in our, in our nation? What about tensions in society? Can I, which one of these things am I allowed to be worried about? None of them. Be anxious for nothing. Not even one thing. Now, that's the problem. That's the tactic, anxiety. Let's talk about the seed. This one's easy to identify, as I said at the beginning. The seed of anxiety is worry. Every time, every time anxiety comes into your life, it starts as a worry seed. It starts as a worry seed. It starts as fear. Did you know did you know that in the Bible, there's no greater commandment given to us, or I should say it this way, there's no commandment given to us by God more frequently than the words fear not or do not fear. Even the commandment of love, which Jesus said is the greatest commandment, it is the greatest commandment, but the most frequent commandment is don't be afraid. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, do not fear, do not fear. All over the Bible. Hundreds of times through the scripture. Now, there is a fear in the Bible that is right and good and holy. And that's called the fear of the Lord. All right? That's the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. It's Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. You can go read it later. The, the, the fear of the Lord is the only proper and right fear that you need to have in your life. Every other fear you need to get rid of. Now, I don't want to spend a bunch of time talking about the fear of the Lord, but it's a fascinating subject. I'll give you a little taste of it. The fear of the Lord is when you live with an awareness of the consequential reality of life. The fear of the Lord teach us, teaches us that in life, decisions have consequences. That is the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says that's the beginning of knowledge. Now, if you carry that through, the fear of the Lord is what causes us to respect and have reverence for him by revealing to us that there are consequences to not reverencing him. If you carry that thought further, because it is the beginning of knowledge, it's the same wisdom that will cause you to tell your kids not to play in the road because you don't want them to get hit by a car. It starts with the fear of the Lord, the respect, the reverence of God, and it trickles down into every part of life so that you understand boundaries and healthy reverence for certain things. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. Okay, I want to make that very clear. 
I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about you living in constant fear of your kids getting hit by a car. You living in constant fear of, of running out, of not having enough. I, I, I'm talking about the little, the, the, the dumb, irrational fear. I mean, there's certain fear that's rational. It begins, with the, it begins with the fear of the Lord. It's rational for you to not let your kids play in the street, right? And then there's this worry and this fear that is utterly irrational. Like the time when my wife and I were newly married. And we'd been, we'd been married maybe six months. And I was working at my job and she was working at the school, Villas Elementary in Fort Myers. She was a boss. She was so good at that job. And, and she used to always, because she worked at a school and I worked at an office, she would always get home before me. And we would do what all early married couples do, watch Netflix. And so we would, this is when Netflix came in the mail in CDs three at a time. And so we binge watched The Office and Friends back to back in, our, in the first year of our marriage, all, all the discs. And so I got home and was about to do what we normally would do. Let's order a pizza or some Chinese food and let's watch Netflix till we fall asleep. And, and what's so funny? That's true. All right. Um, and so I got home at five o'clock. She's not home. She always beat me home. Where's my wife? What's wrong? She okay? So let me call her. No answer. I wait 17 seconds. Let me call her again. No answer. We wait another five minutes. We call her again. No answer. Now the fear is really starting to set in at this point. This is out of the ordinary. This is unusual. What's happening? She's probably dead. This went on for another, I don't know, 40 minutes of me, you know, just de deciding which direction the search party would go in. <laughs> and she walked through the front door. What, where, what happened? Where, where have you been? What's going on? Oh, hey, sorry. I'm, I got in a meeting and it went late. My phone died. You see, there's a fear that's totally rational. It's called the fear of the Lord. And it will teach you how to have rational respect for all the other things. And then there's ridiculous, irrational fear that comes in the form of a seed that the enemy wants you to bite down on in hopes that if you do, he can trap you in anxiety. Fear and worry is the basis of all future anxiety. Today's panic attack was last season's worries. Today's anxiety was yesterday's fears. This is why Jesus tells us not to worry so frequently. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 27, Jesus says, which of you by worrying can add one to your stature? Modern day translation. Which of you by worrying can make yourself one inch taller? Jesus says it that way, almost humorously, so that we can see how ridiculous worry actually is. Which of you, by worrying really hard, can make yourself six inches taller? Oh, I really want to be six inches taller. I really want to be taller. Did it work? <laughs> nope, it didn't. Okay, let me try again. I really want to be taller. No, worry doesn't produce anything. 
Somebody said worry is like a rocking chair. You're just sitting there doing a lot, but you're not going anywhere. We're okay with worry, but we shouldn't be because the Bible doesn't give us any permission to worry about anything. Why is it so destructive? Why is worry such a destructive force in our life? Because a little worry never stays little. A worry, so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I still want you to write it down. A worrisome thought, this is so important, a worrisome thought always spirals down. It never gets better. Did you ever notice that in your life? Like that example of me with my wife when we were first married? The first thought was like, oh, I wonder where Brianne is. She's normally home by now. Half an hour later, I'm crying, planning the funeral. It doesn't ever get better. It always spirals down. That's why you need to squash it out the moment you identify it. All right. I took a lot of time on that one. I'm looking at my timer going, oh, my Lord, how am I going to pack this all in? Okay. <laughs> we define the problem, anxiety. We define the seed, worry. What's the solution? Solution's right there. In Philippians chapter four, verse six, let's read it again. Philippians chapter four, verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Somebody say everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God told us to worry about nothing and pray about everything. I like Pastor Chad Beach, if you know who he is. He just wrote a book that came out last month that says, Help, I worry about everything because I pray about nothing. But that, that's the exact reverse of what God has told us to do. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. The problem is anxiety. It's restlessness. The seed is worry. The solution, pray about everything. What do you do when you feel anxious? Pray about everything. What do you do when you feel worry come? Pray about everything. What do I do when I just really feel trapped and I'm having a panic attack? Pray about everything. Amen? Let's keep moving. Tactic number two, depression. Let's define the problem. Depression is heaviness. Heaviness. If anxiety was restlessness, depression is heaviness. And can I say something real quick? These three things, anxiety, depression, and despair, they're not linear. In other words, you don't just get anxious and then after a while of being anxious, you graduate to depression. And then after that, you graduate to despair. You can, you can go straight to despair. The enemy can lead you straight into depression. It doesn't matter. You can, they can happen out of order. These, this is not a linear thing, okay? Just want you to understand that. Let's define the problem. Depression is heaviness. Merriam-Webster says that depression is a state of feeling sad, low spirits, a reduction in activity, amount, quality, or force. I like this. A pressing down. What does depression do to you? It presses you down. It weighs you down. It's heavy. The Bible talks, speaks directly to this in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. You'll recognize this. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. This is where the prophet of, of God starts by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Get me, get me verse 3 so I don't have to turn there in my Bible. 
to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, here it is, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What is that? Depression. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's a spirit of heaviness. Now, if any of you have experienced depression before in your life, you'll know that this is true. When you feel depressed, we, we often associate depression with only sadness, and it can be that. Oftentimes, it's got a lot of sadness in it. But beyond that, it's, it, it, it equates to lethargy and apathy. And I just don't, I just don't want to get out of bed today. I can't, get, I can't face the day. I'm too heavy. You are weighed down. Everything is hard. Nothing is good enough. Let's define the seed. Now, this one might come as a surprise to you. I know that it came as a surprise to me. In fact, it's not what you would think. I would have thought that depression was spurred on by worry, just like anxiety. It's not. I was sitting several years ago, gosh, five years ago now at least, sitting at this intersection at Bamboo and 421, minding my own business. In fact, I'm pretty sure I wasn't even thinking about God. I know that's a shock to you all, but I wasn't even thinking about the Lord. I was probably, once again, this side, doing way better than this side. <laughs> wasn't even thinking about the Lord. Was probably listening to, you know, some music from the 2000s or something. I don't know. Just minding my own business. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Did you ever have one of those moments? God speaks you out of the blue. It's like a bolt of lightning, man. Boom. And this is what he said. Depression is the fruit of the seeds of criticism. Depression is the fruit of the seeds of criticism. Criticism is the seed of depression. Now I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me with that because I could not put those two together. To a person with a critical spirit... Nothing is good enough. Nothing works the way that it's supposed to. Everything is constantly behind or wrong. Even the good stuff isn't good enough. The critical spirit will find defeat in every triumph and find failure in every success. How do I know if I'm dealing with a critical attitude? Whatever it is, it's not enough. Selah. Boy, this one, this one hits hard. Because we would normally, again, I would never equate the two, you know, a critical spirit amounting to depression. Yeah, because nothing's ever enough. Nothing's ever good enough. The person who's embraced a critical spirit, listen, this is the person that, that, that is often the most vocally opposed to anything. Hey, let me tell you about the great thing that happened today. Yeah, well, if, if it had only been this much better. Hey, man, five people got saved this week at church. Well, it's too bad it wasn't ten. Guess y'all aren't praying hard enough. We had 17 people come forward for healing, and 16 of them got healed, and they're going to focus on the one that didn't get healed. That's critical. That's a critical spirit, and it will infect your heart and lead you into depression. 
To the person, uh, the, 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 excuse me, to the people who struggle the most with depression, they are the ones who have a, a strong, often vocal, negative opinion about the things around them. They start out irritated because nothing is good enough. Later, they find themselves depressed because nothing is good enough. Now, let's define the solution. Isaiah 63, or excuse me, Isaiah 61 Verse 3, the solution that God gives in this verse is further proof about the seed. Because look what God prescribes for depression. Praise. What is praise? Thankfulness. Thanksgiving. Gratitude. Why, how, how do I know for certain that the seed of depression is criticism? Well, because the Lord told me. But I understand that's not good enough to build a doctrine on. But look, it spells it out pretty clearly right here that the answer for depression is a garment of praise. It's an attitude of thanksgiving. It's an attitude and a spirit of delight for what the Lord has done for you instead of complaint about what the Lord has not done for you in your opinion, by the way, which is just nothing more than an opinion. The solution proves our conclusions about the seed because look at God's solution for heaviness. Praise is the, will cure the critic in you. Amen. Let me say that again for the people in the balcony. Praise is the cure for the critic in you. Praise is described as a garment. You don't wake up with a garment already on. Right? Don't, uh, listen, do you sleep in your three-piece suit that you go to the office in? I hope not, weirdo. No, what do you do when you get out of bed? You gotta get dressed for the day. You never start out already praising. You have to get dressed. You gotta take praise and put it on. You've gotta engage intentionally in putting on the praise of our God. Oh man, my flesh doesn't feel like it this morning, Pastor. Who cares? Start to praise God. Praise your way out of depression. It's the answer. Stop looking for a new and different answer. The Bible already gave you one, and it's better than all the others. problem is heaviness, depression. The seed is criticism. The solution, thankfulness and praise. I am fully convinced that you can praise your way out of any depressing situation, regardless of how it starts. Listen, listen, maybe you're not to blame for all the depression in your life. Maybe some things happened in your past and in your world that totally rocked you to the point that now you find yourself really weighed down by it. I'm not here to to try to make you feel guilty, but to help you to understand that there is a better way to live. And it's the way of thanksgiving. It's the way of praise. Get dressed. Get dressed, man. Put some praise on. (coughs) Tactic number three, despair. Tactic number three in the last few minutes, despair. How do we define despair? Despair is hopelessness. If anxiety is restlessness, 
If depression is heaviness, despair is hopelessness. Merriam-Webster calls this one the utter loss of hope. The utter loss of hope. If we're going to understand how potent that is, we need to understand what hope is. Y'all have heard me preach about hope many times. What is hope? Hope is the expectation of a future that is better than today. Hope is the expectation that something better is coming in your future. Hope is always tied in the Bible to the future. Jeremiah 29, 11 is like one of the most quoted verses in all time. That, that God's desire is to give, give us what? A hope and a future. Hope is always connected to the future. So you can easily identify despair in your life when you get to the place where you can't clearly see the future. Where you can't clearly expect God is going to do something better in my future. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there. I've experienced moments of hopelessness in my life where I go, I, I don't know what to do in my life. I don't know what has gotten me to this point, but I, am, I don't see a, a good future for me. I, I, have you ever been there? I mean, I've totally been there in my life. Sometime I'll tell you some of the testimonies of a time in my life when I, was, when I absolutely felt completely hopeless. When I thought, I don't, I don't actually see a way forward. And, and can I tell you, it was during a time in my life when things were the best that they had ever been for me and my wife and my kids and my family personally, just been the best that they'd ever been. The most success we've ever experienced. And there I was in that moment, totally hopeless, going, I don't even, I don't know, maybe we'll make it to next year, maybe we won't. Can I tell you that's despair? That's utter hopelessness. That's a loss of, of even trying to believe that God's got something better for us in the future. When hope disappears, all expectations for your future disappear too. And you just can't see a good future ahead of you. Can we identify the seed of this? Go with me to Psalm 27. This is amazing. Frankie, you can come on up. Go with me to Psalm 27. Oh man, this is so powerful, y'all. I can't wait. I want to get ahead of myself so bad. Psalm 27, verse 13. Psalm 27, verse 13. Talking about despair. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You see... Christians understand something. And that is that after this life is over, we're going to be with Jesus for eternity and everything's going to be awesome forever. But sometimes despair sets in to people's lives and even the most well-meaning people that know that there's a future for them in heaven, but they lose sight of and can't grasp a future for them in this life, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God, not when I get to heaven, in the land of the living. Let's define the seed of despair. 
It's the seed of unbelief. It's the seed of unbelief. You see, once you start to see these things for what they really are, they become so much easier to identify in your life. And you can actually see your way into victory. Amen. I mean, when I understand that anxiety just starts out as a little worry seed, you know, it's just, you know, we'll just get rid of that thing. Just get rid of that worry. And then it never has a chance to become a panic attack. And when I see that me embracing a critical spirit is the first step to becoming permanently depressed, I can just go, no, I'm not going to do that. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. I refuse to criticize. I'm going to walk with you forever. Guess what? Depression avoided. When I understand that despair is the seed of unbelief, when the enemy comes to me with a little bit of doubt, all I have to do is recognize that and go, oh, nice try. Not today, Satan. Nice try. I mean, Jesus had the devil come to him in the wilderness and tempt him. How did he defeat the enemy? It is written. Three times in a row. It is written. It is written. It is written. You think you're going to beat the devil without the word? Jesus couldn't. Jesus didn't. Amen. How arrogant are we? Can I tell you, you'll never overcome thoughts with thoughts. You only overcome thoughts with words. And there's no better word to have in your mouth than this word right here. When unbelief comes as the seed trying to lead you into despair, you always answer with, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. The devil can't stand you having the word in your mouth. Let's define the solution. Despair is hopelessness. The seed of despair is unbelief. The solution is the spirit of faith. Look what he says in Psalm 27, 13. I would have lost heart if I had not believed. I would have lost hope unless I had believed. I want to read you one more scripture, and this is the scripture that I am closing with today. And this is why I have these water bottles up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I don't even want you to turn in your Bibles. I just want you to sit there and listen, and then I want you to watch the, watch the uh, illustration. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it begins reading in verse 7, says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but do not despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul is telling us here that as Christians, we live in a world where we are going to be assaulted by the enemy. We've been talking about his tactics all morning. 
and exposing and disrupting. I like Sean used the word disrupting this morning in prayer. Disrupting the enemy and his plans. But we live in a world where the enemy is going to scheme to get us and bring, you know, attacks on every side. Paul was telling us about it here in 2 Corinthians 4. And he said, when that happens, we're pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Now I brought two, well, I brought like 17 water bottles up here because I'm actually drinking from one of them. <laughs> but I brought up two, two of these water bottles and I want you, come here, come here, come here, you, you, come here, come here. This is my lovely assistant. Okay, here, I want you to hold this right here so that I can talk. Yeah, just hold it there. I need both hands for this. Okay, what did he say? We're hard pressed on every side. I have two water bottles here. I'm going to hard press this one. You see it crinkle? I'll make it even easier. Watch what happens to this one. Hard pressed on every side. Watch what happens to this one. Hard pressed on every side. One of them collapsed. The other one doesn't even look affected. Why? Because this one's full and this one's empty. Because this one has a substance on the inside of it that's stronger than the pressure on the outside of it. This one just caved. But this one can't cave because the Bible says greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Despair doesn't have a chance. Thank you, baby. No, you cannot. She wanted to know if she could talk into it. She can't. Look, look, look. This is despair when faith isn't in the picture. This is what happens when despair comes in and you're hard-pressed on every side. The pressure, the pressure of life comes from every direction at the same time. Have you ever been in such a pressure situation that you can't tell where the pressure's coming from because it seems like it's coming from every direction at the same time simultaneously to the same degree? That's the enemy's attempt at despair. So how do you become, like Paul describes, hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed? How do you become the water bottle that no matter how hard I squeeze this thing, it just doesn't even look like it's being impacted at all? How do you become that? How do you live with that kind of internal consistency and fortitude? Paul says in verse 7, we have these treasure, this treasure in earthen vessels. What is the treasure? We're the earthen vessel. We're the water bottle. What is the treasure that we have in us that's stronger than any pressure from the outside? Look down at verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, 
What is it that makes your insides stronger than the pressure on your outsides? It's the spirit of faith. Faith and trust and belief and hope in the fact that God will always live up to his word. If the problem of despair is that it strips you of your hope and the seed of that problem is unbelief, then the solution to that problem is to have faith on the inside. Have a spirit of faith on the inside. I say, Pastor, how, how do I develop a spirit of faith on the inside? I mean, how many of you want to be like this water bottle? I mean, how many of you just want, it's like, no matter, no, yo, give me your best shot, devil, it ain't gonna phase me. Let me ask this question. How many of you have seen other Christians in your life that seem to be able to do that and you wonder, I don't know how I, how do I get like that? The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How are you going to cultivate faith in your life? You need this word. How are you going to beat anxiety? Pray about everything. How are you going to beat depression? Praise God all the time. Put on the garment of praise. How are you going to beat hopelessness and despair? Build up a spirit of faith through the word of God. Now I've just given you three absolute essential tactics to beat and outsmart the, the enemy every time. These three things will work every single time. No excuses. No more excuses. I'm not saying that to be hard or to be harsh, but you got the answer now. No more excuses. Amen. No more excuses, man. You don't have to, listen, listen, if you're dealing with depression, you know exactly how to get out of it now. Exactly. You go home and praise your way out of it. Not worship. Don't confuse praise and worship. We think praise is the fast song, worship's the slow songs. I, I, I get challenged by this because I have a lot of friends that they try to worship their way out of depression and then they wonder why nothing happens. You don't worship your way out of depression. You praise your way out of depression. That's when you say, thank you, God, for what you have done. I thank you. I will praise you. I will glorify you because you have, you have blessed me. You have taken care of me. You have helped me. You have saved me. You have redeemed me. You have washed me in your blood. You just praise God for everything he's done. You will not stay depressed. And when you find yourself to where you can't see hope in your future, you go back to this word until faith arises on the inside. Some of you, you need to start reading your Bible every day. Some of you, you just need to start reading your Bible every day. And view it for what it is. The word of the eternal living God. Not just a quick, quiet time so I can check it off my box and say that I prayed today. 
and say that I read the Bible today. I did my six-minute devotional. Hooey Louie, man, the devil run all over you. Hooey Louie, that's a good, that's good spiritual pastoral counsel. Listen, next week we're going to talk in our series about ditching our care. Letting, letting go of your cares. After all, the title of this series is Carefree. But here, here's the thing. Today's message, this is vital to people in your life. Every one of us knows somebody that needs what I talked about today. It's not because I'm special. It's because the word of God works and you need to help put it in their hands. I want you tomorrow when this podcast goes live tomorrow, I want you to share it with everybody you know that needs to hear it. I'm going to put out some social posts this week, little talking head videos of me sharing a few more things from these notes. I want you to share that with people because people need this stuff. Amen? Now I'm going to pray for you. You can stand up to your feet. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.